Welcome to the Artist Engineer Podcast. Join me, Tony Tran. And me, Bill Robertazzi. Along with our amazing guests, as we explore how people's inner artist and inner engineer present themselves in their technical careers, in the art they create, and most importantly, in living creative lives. Happy 2022. Thank you for joining us on the journey and tuning in. Before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you haven't rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, please do. It helps the show get discovered. And if you have any other ideas or suggestions for the show, please email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com. We love hearing from you. On to the show. Our guest today is Joby Harris. Joby is a visual strategist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, where he supports scientists and engineers with design thinking, visuals, strategy, and communication. For the past 25 years, Joby has worked as a designer and artist in the film, television, music, and theme park industries. Joby tells us how Star Wars and Night of the Living Dead sparked his interest in art and design and space. He shares his career advice for both art and engineering, including having healthy relationships, being generous, and learning to sketch. At NASA, Joby tells us about his role as a communicator and a bridge from scientists and engineers to the public. He tells us about the public's surprising response to NASA's search for exoplanets, and if we'll have lightsabers and ion propulsion engines soon. So, Joby, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. So, Joby, as a visual strategist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, your creative work is both very beautiful and I find very approachable. You've created illustrations for Mars rovers, spacesuits that look very relaxed, almost like casual wear. Mm -hmm. And even I saw dogs on Mars. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they're in the style of movie posters. For me, actually, it it gives a feeling of nostalgia, not even some out-of-touch future. And then after seeing your work, we realized that artists have always been a part of NASA's history. And your own history has followed a variety of creative paths that brought you to, to NASA. So maybe we can start there. If you maybe can give an introduction of your own background in arts and entertainment, and then how that transitioned into uh, your work at NASA. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. And thanks, Bill, for having me. Tony, you hit all the, all the, right, the right notes there in terms of you know, my contribution to JPL and NASA, the, the work that I've done to try and support missions and with, with art and design, you know, those were kind of the hot spots to kind of really hit on because, you know, I think space, there's, there's something nostalgic about space as much as it is future-minded. There's something very nostalgic about it and we, we need that human connection to it, you know? So um, I'm, I'm glad that that's what you kind of got from, from a lot of the work, but uh, yeah, my background, I, I couldn't have, been further away from a career in math and science than, you know, growing up. I, I, I was the guy getting Fs and D minuses in my math classes and, you know, uh, kind of having nostalgia with Christmas because for Christmas, my family would get me, you know, I of course would get toys, but it was usually the onslaught of fun math books, you know, like Star Wars algebra books, you know, like <laughs> they just sort of slide education into something fun. But it was just these little subtle nods to like, you should probably be doing better in school, science and math. <laughs> so let's have C3PO, you know, help you. So yeah, I was not on a pathway to, to anything 
involving NASA. Uh, as a kid, I, I wanted to work in film. Since early on, I was I was just enthralled by science fiction, Star Wars, uh, especially like any other kid. And I wanted to be a special effects artist. I specifically model making. Uh, I wanted to build spaceships and make creatures. And uh, so I was always building and sculpting. My parents would save their trash. Basically, I was making things out of Tupperware containers and but also drawing. My dad was an art teacher and an illustrator and a painter. So just having exposure to his studio and seeing his smelling his paints, you know, and um, I think he even used markers. I don't know if you remember those old markers that were like this, you know, these giant uh, tubes that you, you'd, you'd take the cap off and it's filled the room full of ammonia or some sort of mm. chemical. You know, I think they've outlawed them now. <laughs> and you could hear the marker as it hit the paper. It's like, so I was just fascinated by art gear and stuff. And so that kind of solidified my path as an artist. So it paid off though. I met uh, in high school, I met a special effects artist, specifically model making and sculpting from my local town. And um, ironically, Western Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh is where I, I grew up, but they actually did, a, they filmed a lot of zombie movies out there. Uh, there's a director named George Romero who did Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. He filmed that there in a little town outside of where I grew up. So a lot of these effects uh, artists, even a makeup artist named Tom Savini, uh, who worked on everything great in the 70s and 80s, uh, so much so that Quentin Tarantino always kind of tries to put him in a film or utilize him in something. So a lot of these iconic effects guys were hanging around there. So they all taught at this art institute in Pittsburgh, and it was kind of the only school in the country that taught special effects. So I went there, continued to do model making effects. Computers were just starting to kind of creep in. This is around 94, 95, and that's important because because at that time uh, they were saying, hey, you know, this is just kind of a thing. You know, we'll, we'll take a few classes. But keep model making, keep keep making creatures, you know, <laughs> and they kind of failed to understand that that was the future. <laughs> and uh, I didn't take it seriously because no one else took it seriously. So uh, I moved out to California and was a special effects artist. And probably within about four years was immediately my career was uh, as a model maker, as a physical effects maker, was instantly sort of eliminated by everything going to computers. And so there I was not knowing how to do 3D, basically be a model maker in 3D. So I had to bob and weave and, you know, just to stay alive and stay working. I, I said, well, I can draw, I can storyboard, I can concept design. So that's when I went from, from effects into actual pre-production, storyboardings, drawing. I taught myself graphic design. So yeah, my career uh, was very visual very uh my my tool set increased due to survival just to keep a job you know it was a lot of like well you know i can do this over here and you need this so i ended up sort of weaving into being a production designer um doing on-set art department you know making props so all forms of art involving production uh which led me all the way up to actually starting to direct so I was directing commercials and thinking that was where I wanted to go because you get to have a say in everything, you know, music, uh, the production design, acting. And I thought you, you had the most creative say as a director, but it was feast or famine. I, I was not very good at freelance. Uh, 
I would take on, as most artists do, they take on jobs that they just kind of say yes to everything. They're overwhelmed. They're kind of like contractors, right? You just don't finish. <laughs> You're just like excited about taking on a new project and then you just leave. <laughs> so I did not like freelance. I was like, I, you know what I need to do? I need to go back to school, apply the special effects that I can do into 3D, learn these programs, and then just get a job, even if it's Starbucks. Uh, and that's when I got a call from uh, a friend who worked at J- works at JPL at NASA. And I knew kind of what he did, but I didn't really know what he did. I knew he's a designer, but I didn't know how he supported JPL or NASA. So he called me and said, are you looking for full-time work? That's all I heard was full-time work. And I said, yes, only hoping it could be something creative. And it's been 10 years now. And probably not only was it very creative, but it launched me as an artist um, to places that, no pun intended, that uh, I never would have gotten to had I gone down this path of a commercial director or wherever I was going. This journey you've told us, uh, for a mm-hmm. lot of people of our generation from the 90s and computers coming in, is very familiar. Many mm-hmm. musicians, et cetera, have done this freelance, and then they've ended up in, in our experience in software development and in other places. So. I think um, it could have been. Uh, it could be a, a just a pattern of the times, as you said, when computers came in. Uh, this is a very familiar story where people also have tried to fund their creative lives through some mm-hmm. like corporate job that mm-hmm. hopefully they, they enjoy. So I think it resonates with a lot of our listeners. I think. But you're right. I think that that mid '90s to 2000s, anything having to do with software, or, yeah, you know, you were definitely juggling and pulling out of your hat anything that you could do to just sort of navigate that speaking of navigation in some ways you know in retrospect you can kind of see the journey how the journey makes sense all the experiences you had now you're able to apply at nasa you've you've said to use every artistic tool that you've picked up you have to wear many hats at nasa and it sounds like it was you know as i said looking back it's it's uh, you can kind of see the path but in the moment it's kind of opportunistic accidental for you uh, uh again with the the benefit of your experience do you have any advice for people who are starting out, creative people, about specializing early, getting to what you did, a breadth of experience um, uh, for, for younger artists? Yeah, I, you know, we get, I get asked a lot about, you know, any, any advice, especially in this field of art and art meeting engineering, art meeting uh, science, or, um, and, and I have to kind of look back at my career at what kept me what kept me hired? What kept me inspired? I'm not going to rhyme. I promise. My third word is not going to rhyme with that. Um, <laughs> and on fire. Oh no, I, I did rhyme. It. <laughs> you know, and and honestly, what helped me were my relationships. Uh, that I had healthy relationships. They were people that I in my life that I helped with my skills. Uh, you know, when you move to LA, you meet people of your age group and everyone's trying to do something, you know, and so you have a connection with people outside, whether it's in the skill, you know, hey, we're all singers or we're all songwriters. You have that, but there's also a personal uh, connection you have with people. And so I've, I think I've always been generous with my time and my talent. And then as people sort of Uh, became more successful and they became friends, they would naturally just sort of uh, look out for you and bring, invite you into opportunities. And 
So, uh, and it was all very genuine. It wasn't very, you know, you help me, I help you sort of keeping score. So there's a lot of things early on that were actually outside of my actual talent that, that I tend to give advice on, like, make sure your relationships are healthy. Like, you know, be generous, be kind to people. Don't complain. Um, show up early, leave late, be the last to leave, go over and beyond with your work. You know, if people are asking for three concepts, give them five, you know, type of thing. Um, so, so early on, I tend to have that kind of advice. That's not very sexy. It's not very like, you know, take these classes, do, do these types of things. Uh, in terms of tangible stuff, I always tell people, make sure you know how to sketch. Make sure you know how to at least draw um, even a simplest form. And I suggest that for everybody, even engineers, artists, software engineers, get, find some way of getting your ideas down visually quickly. And if you can't do that, take a class. There's so many things online now that you can do. Because um, I, see, I see a lot of people struggle to communicate their ideas to others. And in my career, the most problems I've seen is in communication, just communication. That's it. I don't know if any of that resonates with you. I see you nodding, Bill. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I, I, I you know, I like the uh, definitely the the idea of communicate what you're communicating to people, uh, and you're saying problems that come up with communication. And early in your career, you don't have maybe all the expertise or the knowledge or whatever. So, what are you communicating? You're communicating other values and ethics, like you say, your kindness, your effort, and those type of things, and your generosity that. Those are things you can give. Everybody can give that, right? No matter how much experience you have or don't have. Yeah. Um, so I think that's actually great advice. And then the uh, the visual, because I, I thought about that, you know, even learning how to sketch, I think is a great idea because in the technology field particularly or in the science field or any kind of complicated field, which a lot of the technical fields are complicated and also a lot of ideas around art are complicated, so being able to visualize and communicate that, because a lot of times, you know, as we say, you know, words don't describe it. You know, I have this idea, but I can't really describe it to you and, and words somehow fail. So that I think is great advice. Awesome. Yeah. And, and so much of what I do, you know, as a, a visual strategist, that's my title. It's, it's kind of poetic, but I mean, ultimately I'm a communicator. Uh, that's all I do is, uh, you know, the, the scientists and engineers, they're in PhD level areas of thought and ideas and communication. And they, they communicate with each other at PhD levels. And then in walks Joby, you know, like, tell me about your mission. And, and that's been my biggest struggle, especially early on, was understanding them. And I, I, would, I felt bad about it, but uh, my boss, Dan, would say, no, be the first one to say you don't understand in the room uh, because you are the public. And that has been the divide for a long time between space, NASA, and the public is public wants to be excited, but they don't understand exactly what's going on. And so I'm, I'm a communicator. I understand what the scientists and engineers are trying to do. I get them to tell their story uh, differently through analogy, you know, usually when they're frustrated and they go, look, it's kind of like this, you know, that's the magic word. If I can get a scientist to say, look, it's kind of like this. And then they go into an analogy. That's the magic right there. Then I pull from that analogy. Oh, okay. And I basically help communicate and be a bridge from, from the scientists and engineers to the public 
by way of visuals, by way of art, by way of experiential things, you know. So it, it's all about communication yeah. from the from the beginning to to even getting into your career. And the, the communication side of it, I, I think I've seen one of your interviews where there's a portion of it that's, uh, as you say, it's almost that communicating to the public, which is certainly, I'm sure, a huge part of it. What about communicating internally, scientist to scientist or within a team or collaboration? Is that part of the role as well? It is. Yeah, we're, we're involved in early formulation. Uh, in fact, some of my first jobs were doing working on proposals. Um, and so it's, you're taking data that's normally just numbers and, uh, and you're putting into visuals, you're, you're adding emotion to numbers, essentially, and in color and shape so that they can kind of feel what's going on. You know, you know we do that a lot internally with, with the scientists and engineers that we work with in terms of formulation so that they can just sort of absorb their data differently. And in terms of communicating with each other, yeah, we, we uh, work in an area called team, uh, A-team studies and uh, where it's a room full of scientists, engineers, specialists of many different sorts and kinds, all attacking one problem. And we really try to support them visually uh, not only during the process, but also kind of create a packet afterwards of this is everything discussed and, um, you know, problem solved uh, to, to help them better absorb and communicate with each other. So you'd be amazed at, at how often they even miss each other um, in terms of what they're talking about. There is, I don't know if there's, this exists anywhere else, but there's a lot of ego as well. So so people, there are going to be people that are going to silently sit there and pretend like they understand what's being talked about when they actually don't, you know? <laughs> um, and so we do support visually uh, to help them sort of better understand the process as it goes and the final outcome. Like a, like a, uh, a, like a visual lubricant of communication within yes. uh, between the scientists and, and engineers. Yeah, you're, you're kind of... You're building like a safe bridge between the two. You, just, mm-hmm. you, we sort of created a middle space for them to play almost and talk with each other and be free to talk with each other. So this um, this kind of process of taking very complex ideas and you said add emotions to them, uh, but you know making them simple, making them understandable, then and also in a feedback loop, you know you make it understandable back to the people who told you these complex ideas. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a couple of kind of practices or approaches around uh, putting emotion into it. Uh, can you share any more? Um, I think a bit from my side, we have a similar problem in software engineering, but almost opposite. You know, we're taking kind of business requirements from people and then uh, from, our, from our business owners and our customers and trying to figure out how to like, like translate that into the simplest UI design and those type of things. And also to your point about drawing and sketching, we're often trying to whiteboard and, and, and uh, kind of give them feedback. And my feedback to my own team is, this whiteboard drawing makes no sense. It's just lines and boxes. You have to put some structure or some, put some story in here. So just uh, any other kind of techniques you can, you can share often we hear about telling stories and things like that, that help you kind of be able to translate very complex ideas into um, emotions and also simpler ideas. Yeah, we'll often sit in a room and just, you know, ask the question, what do you want people to walk away with? You know, when you start at the end, really, and what do you want people, what's the one thing you want people to walk away with? And, and you hate to narrow it down to one thing, but that's, we're so flooded with things now. And uh, you really only do remember one thing, you know? And so we'll often ask the engineers and scientists, you know, get them kind of out of their heads 
um, and, and say, what is the one thing you want someone to remember? So I, I tend to look past all the information and I'm like, how can this be uh, something that people want to hold on to? And that includes scientists and engineers. Like we'll do, we'll do proposal covers and they want all of their info, the spacecraft and all of that on there and signatures. And that's all very important. But it's been the proposal covers that are just emotional, like seeing the Cassini spacecraft go between Saturn's rings and the planet. We, we did that as a proposal cover for the second part of this Cassini mission before they were going to end the mission, burning the spacecraft up in the atmosphere of Saturn. They were like, we want it to fly between the rings and the planet. You know, that's never been done. How or or fly over the rings of Saturn. You know, before it enters the atmosphere. They 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 had all of this data and information that they wanted. You know, to kind of prove that this could be a good thing. But it was a simple image of a spacecraft going over top of the the rings of Saturn, and people were instantly like, we want that to happen. I want to see that. You know, and all of the information was inside the proposal. They could get to it. But yeah, there is this sort of gut reaction that we have to put everything important in one place instead of letting people really let their minds take them there. Let stop filling in the meaning ourselves and let people do 50% of the creating themselves inside of them, you know. So I've, I've often found with communicating in, in artwork that, that we, we sort of skirt this line of being scientifically correct because that's important, being factual, but leaving a lot of room for people to just simply stare at it and put themselves in that place and co-create that story, you know, because within that could be a future. Someone could be like, ah, I, you know, how are we going to do that? Especially with our exoplanet posters, you know, how are we going to, those places exist. We did these travel posters to other worlds that exist. That world exists. How do we get there? How do we see that? And maybe I want to be the one that helps get there and do that. You know, that's my approach to a lot of the design that we do in such a technical world, such as JPL and NASA is you want to flood it with everything that's important to you, but how do I simplify this in the simplest story to allow the person looking at it to just want to dive in and live there in a sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was great. I, I love the, uh, the the kind of starting with the end and and the end almost raising questions for people like how how are we going to get there as compared to telling someone where they're going to go and all the steps they're going to take to get there, which you know which maybe stops you because you don't even know all the steps yet on how exactly. far you're going to go. Um, which and, is hard for an engineer, right? That's, well, that's what engineer. that was. Yeah, that's what actually my my next question was was exactly, so for the engineers uh, in, in my life that I've dealt with and scientific people, they're very detail-oriented people. Um, they know a lot and they want to prove the steps maybe, you know, before kind of uh, getting there. So it, it's, it's formulating what is that big question is, is, I guess, where the great leap forwards come, even in engineering and science. Uh, we had another uh, NASA, uh, NASA person, uh, Sabrina Thompson, who's actually an engineer, there, but she actually uh, grew up kind of as an artist and always mm -hmm. thought she was going to go into art and then went to engineering school. And but she said she didn't have the kind of cultural background, you know, she didn't know about the number 42 and probably might not have been a Star Wars nerd and all those kind of things. So, how did you kind of meld and, and figure out culturally how to kind of work with the engineers, the scientists, um, knowing what maybe their 
or not knowing, you know, all the details they want or what they think is important? How did you find that and, and, and overcome any challenges? So there's an aspect of my job that, that I, I'm not walking in, you know, throwing paint everywhere. Like I am an artist, you know, and then they <laughs> bow down to me. I had a lot of learning to do when I showed up at JPL at NASA. I, for the first time I had to dive into physics, I had to, you know, someone said, you need to read, they stopped me and said, Joby, you need to read this book called Understanding Space. It's a, it's a textbook. It's like a school textbook. It is start to finish everything you need to understand about physics all the way up to what the bus of a spacecraft is. So that when we're talking, when you're in this room, you need to understand some of the basics, you know, you bring up, you know, should you be a specialist or a generalist? I'm a specialist as a designer and an artist. I aim to be a generalist with space to just have a, just enough to know what they're talking about. And then we meet in the middle. I by no means know aeronautic, any kind of engineering, but I, but I do understand sections of a spacecraft, the important things that need to kind of hold together, you know, so that I can help them tell their story better. But, but I do remember having a meeting with a, a woman named Sarah Seeger. She is probably just one of the top uh, scientists looking for other planets and exoplanets. And I remember her excitement. You know, we were going to do a, a travel poster to, to a real, real place called Trappist. And she showed us this printout of all numbers and was literally just smiling, just ear to ear, like, isn't this amazing? He just handed it to us. And we all looked at it and just, I had the courage only because I've been there 10 years to say, Sarah, I have no idea what this is. (laughs) Why are you excited about this? But I wanted to know, you know, and I'm, I didn't expect her to dumb anything down. It was more of my fascination, my fascination with her excitement. And I wanted to know why it was exciting. And she started to break down those numbers. And then I kind of got excited. I got excited that something went from a four to a 10. That means something amazing is happening. (laughs) There's a lot of respect and empathy there. You know, like you're trying to offer help, but you you have to put some first step forward to to meet in the middle. Yeah. And I sound amazing at parties after reading all this stuff. Pythagorean theorem. Even though I only I only know like a fraction of some of these things, but uh, it's great party discussion. <laughs> Is there uh, a highlight from your career at NASA? Either something you're very proud of, a tricky problem, kind of this tricky kind of understanding problem, something that got a surprising reaction. Uh, any highlight that that comes to mind uh, in terms of what you were able to do at NASA? There's some amazing stories, uh, you know. So I I've been diving into our photo archives, seeing artwork done by people going back into the 50s and, and even late 40s. Um, there, were, there were artists supporting the space industry since the beginning, all for the purpose of communication, helping them communicate with each other and communicating, communicating out. So, you know, our, our studio is made up of some pretty amazing artists and communicators, all with different backgrounds. So usually when people approach us, they're not even really sure what, other than I just want something different. I want, what I'm working on is really unique and I want to communicate it differently. And that can be outward facing, but also inward facing. Like I said, we do a lot of interior like lab things to inspire people who are working on missions for five, 10 years. They're in these spaces. And if you're going to go to Europa and study what's on that icy surface or beneath it for, for five, 
10 years, you know, we'll go in and help sort of uh, design your space to inspire you. And so we got a job to, for the exoplanets uh, folks, the scientists, the program is run out of JPL. Uh, it's the search for other planets around other stars. And it was just this drab offices. And they asked us, you know, uh, can, can we do something to inspire the scientists here? And there just happened to be these large sheets of glass on the wall. And we said, well, what are these? And they said, well, we think they hold posters. We don't know. Usually it's like company posters. Like here's, you know, pork chops and applesauce for lunch, you know, type of flyers that they stick in there, you know? Um, so we're like, well, what if we can just put some really cool posters in here to start? And that began a, a, a project where we started talking with the scientists or, you know, what are some real planets that you're excited about that are out there? And my colleague, David Delgado said, well, it'd be cool to do some travel posters, old travel posters to, to these real worlds, you know, and what would be fun? Why would you want to go there? And, you know, the scientists, we get in the room, the scientists, and they say, well, you know, there's this, there's this planet Kepler 16b and, you know, and these long names that were really funny, you know, lots of numbers and letters and uppercase and lowercase matter. And, and it wasn't until we asked them, well, why would you want to go there? That they get excited. Like, wow, I, I'd want to go there to skydive because, you know, the gravity is three times that of earth and, and all of that. So we've made these travel posters and it was meant for that group to inspire them. And they ended up, uh, many people wanted copies of them. And JPL put a link on, he's basically saying, if you want one, you can just download them. And then the public cut word and basically crashed the site. So I think they had like five, five million downloads. So you know, that was a surprise. We're, we're doing these posters, these this artwork of, of real worlds um, and really highlighting the science, you know, um, that led to doing more posters in the form of horror movies, old 50 horror movies, you know, about, about what's out there that could really kill you, which is pretty much everything in the universe, right? So those have been a lot of fun to work on. Final question from me. You know, obviously being a science fiction fan, as I believe you are, certainly Star Wars, uh, any kind of disappointment you got there, you're expected to see, you know, <laughs> R2-D2, lightsaber, something. You're like, really, this is all you're doing? You're just landing some things on planets here and there? You know, this is all we've got? No flying cars? What's going on? <laughs> it, it, it is amazing. I mean, of course, I would love to have a lightsaber, right? You guys, I think we're all sort of dreaming of a lightsaber, but I, I was really trying to think about that. And that comes up a lot. People are like, when, when am I getting a lightsaber? When am I getting a time <laughs> machine? And, you know, and then, and then the, the engineer crushes everyone's dreams saying, you know, that to have a lightsaber that takes about the same power as 15,000 American houses in your hand, you know, so like, it'd be super <laughs> hot. It'd be made of plasma. You'd, you'd die basically. So, all right, no lightsaber, not for a while. I, I do see things happening that are, or meeting those expectations, like ion propulsion, it just it meets those expectations. It's 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 the future of propulsion in space. It's just this glowing blue ring, this beautiful glowing blue ring. You know, it, it's it only propels about the 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 power of like a breath of air. You know, but oh, but it's but it's meant to be a constant propulsion. You know, when you're in space, that little push over the time over time and distance, you're just going to be booking. You know, mm. it just doesn't stop. So you, you'll, I'll see that stuff and think, okay, here it is. Here's the Star Wars. We're getting there, mm. you know. Um, but, but yeah, the, the, it's interesting, the art inspiring real life 
real life inspiring art circle, right? Yeah. So many people are in engineering because of Star Trek and Star Wars and, and you know, Doctor Who and mm-hmm. things like that. And then you show up and you learn how to do it for real. And then you want those lightsabers. You're going to figure it out. Well, thanks, Joby. This has been amazing. NASA, I think, has really inspired all of us in this past uh, 50, 60 years it's been around. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're definitely continuing that mission, as well as we heard amazing advice for artists and engineers around creative thinking and communication. That's it's really great stuff. Yeah, and I, if I could, if I could just add this too, you know, I saw podcast title and really got to know you guys and, and what you're talking about. And I have to tell you, the first thing that popped into my head is something I'm going through now as an artist is that most artists, when you, when you're engineering and art, you immediately think of that, you know, an engineer and an artist coming together and what they do. But honestly, I'm having this conversation in my head right now that I am an artist, 100% artist. I struggle with bringing things into reality. I struggle, like I can live in my head with all of my ideas uh, for years and not get anything done. Uh, it, I, when I first saw what your podcast was about, I immediately thought of uh, my big struggle right now, which is I'm an artist, but I actually need to build something. If I'm not building something, it's not existing. Hmm. And so I actually have a couple of mottos that I have to remember on a daily basis. But one of them is that beauty is built in reality. It has to be built. Um, you know, I, I can be a successful filmmaker in my head and continue to, to, to dream of things or designs, but if I'm not actually doing it, nothing happens, you know? And so I've been actually been more proactive in working with friends to hold each other accountable, you know, whether it's uh, doing a graphic novel, okay, I have to do two pages a week and have them in a Dropbox or else you're, I have to do three pages the next week, you know, there are consequences. So it's interesting your journey of engineering meets arts. I, I make that connection in terms of I need to build more. I'm I'm an artist, but I need to actually engineer more, think, bring things into reality, um, or else nothing gets done. I you know, otherwise I die with a lot of great ideas. <laughs> and no one sees those. You need to be productive to create things. You can imagine all you want, and that only happens in your head. Yeah, and in, in the industry, whether it's film, TV, art is filled with people that don't have great ideas, but they bring things into reality on a constant <laughs> basis. Exactly. So the, those of us with amazing ideas need to get busy and start creating at that level and in, in, in engineering and building things. It's a great message. All right. Thank you, Joby. Thank you very much. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com if you have show ideas or want to follow up with feedback or just want to say hi. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to connect. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes at www.theartistengineer.com. And finally, if you enjoyed the show, please leave an iTunes review as it helps the show get discovered by more people. And also hit the subscribe button.